Well, good morning. Good to see you. Uh, my name's Simon, if I haven't met you yet. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, some verses from 1 Corinthians chapters 12 to 14 this morning. So if you've got a Bible, uh, it'd be handy to have that open there. Uh, but I'll be putting the uh, verses I'm referring to uh, up on the screen behind us as well. Uh, I'm going to pray and uh, we'll ask for God's help as we consider this part of his word together. Father, thank you for this day that you have given us. Uh, thank you for the time we have together now to meet together as your people. We pray that we would be uh, encouraged uh, and strengthened in our faith, um, particularly now as we look at your word. We pray that you would, through your spirit, um, make it alive to us and help us to see what uh, you want to say to us uh, and that you give us uh, the humility that we need and the willingness uh, to obey you, uh, to put into practice uh, the things that you lay upon our hearts. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was uh, Teddy Roosevelt, or Theodore, uh, who came up with one of my favourite quotes. He once said that comparison is the thief of joy. It's a natural tendency that we all have, isn't it, uh, to compare ourselves with those around us. Now, for some people, uh, this is in fact how they kind of negotiate their way through life, uh, the way they measure their own value and worth, uh, only in comparison to others. This might take place uh, at work, as you compare yourself to your colleagues. Schools and universities make this quite easy for us. We're constantly getting marks that allow us to compare our achievements and our standing with other people. This might have been uh, your experience and might continue to be as a part of your family, measuring yourself against a brother or a sister, or feeling the weight of living up to your parents' achievements and reputation. Perhaps uh, this was actually openly encouraged in your upbringing, where you were compared to siblings or cousins or friends. It was a kind of a competitive environment. We almost feel compelled, don't we, to compare ourselves to others when it comes to our abilities, our intellect, even our appearance. And this can happen in churches too, uh, even to the point where we compare the gifts that God has given us. And we can use them to arrange ourselves into a kind of pecking order or to feed our own pride uh, or to feed those feelings of envy and jealousy of others. Uh, today we're looking at a decent chunk of 1 Corinthians, trying to cover chapters 12 to 14, uh, and it's a, a section that deals with these issues around spiritual gifts. Now that's an issue that's caused all manner of arguments and conflicts between Christians over the years, and I think particularly in recent years. Um, but we find that in the church in Corinth they're in conflict over this, not so much a disagreement about what spiritual gifts are, uh, but more a, a division they're allowing to occur within them around who's got what gifts. Um, they're looking down on people who don't have the same kinds of gifts or the right sort of gifts, uh, and it's become a serious problem in the life of the church. Now, as we've seen repeatedly among Corinthians, um, the issue is not so much about the gifts, it's fundamentally one of attitude and one of heart. So the Apostle Paul wants to show them a few things. He wants to show them how to value every part within the body equally. And he wants to show them how pride and selfishness have to be conquered with humility and love. 
Uh, now, the New Testament talks about spiritual gifts in a number of places. Um, we have what we've got here in 1 Corinthians. If you, you go to Romans 12 and places like Ephesians 4, uh, there's, there's more that's said about them there. And uh, I'm not suggesting that this is uh, what anyone writing the Bible wanted us to do, but if you compile a list of spiritual gifts, you find that it's not actually a very easy thing to define. So here's a range of different things, and this isn't even all of them, are things that are described as spiritual gifts, things that come to us through the Spirit of God. And I don't think the New Testament writers ever wanted to provide an exhaustive list for us or a complete list, but here are just some of the things that get mentioned. Um, there are some gifts here that seem to have an overt supernatural element to them, so things like speaking in tongues or healing. Uh, there are some things here, though, that seem much more like sort of natural abilities or, or skills, as Libby was talking about, things like teaching or administration. And then there are other things here that would just seem to be rather ordinary, like serving or giving money. Many of these gifts, I think, are things that we might expect all Christians to have. Things like faith, helping others, showing mercy. Now, the problem that seems to have arisen in Corinth is that they've taken pride in particular spiritual gifts uh, and they're looking down on others who may not have them. And in particular, they seem to have decided that those who spoke in tongues were the bee's knees. Uh, they had some sense of superiority when it came to that gift. And because of that, they're now looking down on those who had the more mundane or less spectacular gifts. Whenever we fall into the mistake of measuring people's worth through comparisons like that, uh, it'll almost always lead to a couple of things. It'll almost certainly lead to things like pride or self-loathing. So you're going to feel proud if you think you're better than others as you compare yourself to them. That is, if you've got the right kind of gifts. Or it'll lead to a sense of self-loathing and disappointment if by comparison you feel that, well, you're not as good, not as talented, not as valued as others. And all of this is rather poisonous to the life and the growth of a church. Comparison is the thief of joy, but it's also the thief of unity. And so Paul wants to tackle this problem. Uh, and he says, uh, we've got to get this right. And so he's got a few things he wants to teach them about the nature of gifts and, and how they should be exercised. Now, the first and most obvious thing that Paul wants to point out to them is that spiritual gifts, uh, everyone has one, and that they're all from the same source. They're all from God. Uh, that's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. He says, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And then after describing what some of those gifts are, he says this in verse 11. He says, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Whatever gifts we have, they all come from the same source. They're all the work of the same Spirit. And it's important to notice that, it's, in fact, it's God who determines who gets what. Um, now, of course, everyone has gifts, but God is the one who determines what kind of gift we receive. But regardless of whatever gift it is, they all are meant to have the same purpose. They're all to be used for the common good. 
Paul goes on to use the analogy of a body to describe uh, how these different gifts, gifts should operate within the life of a church and how vital each one is. So a little further on in chapter 12, we have these words, which we had read early, earlier for us. Uh, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. You can see even here hints of the problems that there are at Corinth. People are suggesting that there are some parts of the body that aren't needed. Um, those who had the more highly prized gifts were making others feel inferior. But Paul says, in a body, every part belongs. And for the body to be able to function, it needs every part, even the ones that might appear weaker or, or less significant. And just as every part of the body is needed for it to work well, all the gifts that God has given to his people in the church are needed for a church to function well. We all function differently, and of course that's a part of God's good design for us. We all need each other. We're all dependent on one another because we belong to each other. And so there, there should be no place for jealousy, no place for pride. I wish I could sing like an angel. But if you've ever stood near me during church while the singing's happening, you'll know that I can't do that. In fact, I, I was too close to a microphone for a couple of weeks when we didn't have enough singers. And I'm sorry about that. I can't, singing is not a gift I have and I need to learn to be content with that. But gifts are gifts, they're given to us, they're not something that we should use to feed our pride or use to look down upon others. The great thing is, God says that every single one of us has a vital part to play in the life of a church community. Every single one of us can be contributing something good, for the good of one another as God enables us. And so this is the first thing Paul wants them to get, that, that there's no such thing as a useless gift, there's no such thing as a dispensable gift or a dispensable person. God gives them all and so we need them all. And then right in the middle of this discussion that Paul has about spiritual gifts, because he returns to this idea in chapter 14, we've got Perhaps, as Mike reminded us earlier, one of the most quoted parts of the Bible, uh, it's the passage in chapter 13 which talks about love, uh, the one that always gets wheeled out at weddings. You know how it goes. Love is patient. Love is kind. And in the context of what Paul's writing about, you might wonder why he goes on this strange little aside talking about love and potentially weddings. But I think that's just it. it it's not some sort of random tangent in fact, he's not really talking about romantic love at all. Listen again to what Paul says here about love and notice how it connects to what he's just been saying about how the Corinthians ought to be treating one another, particularly with regard to their gifts. So I'll pick it up in verse 4. He says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. 
It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. He's reminding the Corinthians of something they may have forgotten. That love has to be the basis and the motivation behind the use of any of our gifts, all of our service. Love has to be the defining motivation behind all that we do for others in the life of a church. It's the kind of love that he describes here that the Corinthians sorely need. But one that we need to always apply in our relationships with one another. For the sake of our unity, for the sake of peace in the life of a church, we have to love each other like this. The Corinthians are a church that are plagued by pride and, and envy around these spiritual gifts. They're using their gifts in a self-seeking way. And so Paul talks to them about love because they need to learn how to exercise their gifts in love for each other without the pride, without the boasting, without the envy. So it's a passage that's really not about how husbands and wives ought to love each other, although it's certainly true that they should, and this would be a very good model to use. But he's talking about life more broadly within the church and how people ought to care for each other and, and exercise their gifts and serving one another in this way. And so look again at what he says right at the start of chapter 13 because I think uh, you get a fresh insight into these verses as well given the context uh, that they come in surrounded by everything else he's been saying. So chapter 13 verse 1, Paul says there, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. If you think your gifts are about you, you've missed the point. Missed the point of why they were given to you by God in the first place. They were given to you for the good of others for you to be able to serve them in love. There's one more thing that Paul says here about spiritual gifts that I think is a bit confusing at first. In fact, it looks like Paul's contradicting himself. But in the end, I think it actually drives his point home. So we've just seen in chapter 12 how all the gifts that are given are important and equally important, how we've all got a vital part to play in the body but then look at what he says right at the end of chapter 12. I don't know if you noticed this um, during our reading. Very last thing there in chapter 12, he says, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. After everything else he's just said, this seems like a rather odd thing to say until you realise what he means by greater gifts. Paul doesn't rank them. He doesn't, in fact, tell us what the greater gifts are. Well, he does kind of. Um, he says, in fact, that they're the ones that do the most to build up the church. So have a look at uh, chapter 12, verse 7. He says there, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And then in chapter 14, he'll go on to say this, So it is with you. 
Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. Paul is saying that the Corinthians have made a mistake. They made a mistake in thinking that the greater gifts are the ones that make them look good, that might make them look more impressive to others. But in fact, the greater gifts are the ones that will do the most to build up others. And Paul shows how this works through chapter 14 when he compares the gifts of tongues and prophecy. In fact, chapter 14 is kind of a worked example of this very idea. So this is what Paul says. He says, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They are mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. See how it works? Paul says prophecy is better than tongues because it edifies the church. It builds others up. Speaking in a tongue may build you up, but if I can understand what you're saying, it does nothing for me. And so Paul says in the public meeting, tongues should only be spoken where they're accompanied with interpretation. And if they're not, well, they shouldn't be expressed at all. And so that's what Paul's getting at when he talks about greater gifts. Not meaning those that draw attention to you, but those that you can use to build up and strengthen other people. Now, we can't escape from this passage that um, every part of the body is necessary. God's given us all different gifts and abilities, but how we're to use them is what really counts. If you consider yourself a part of this church, that means you are a necessary part of this body. That kind of begs a question. What is your part in the body? Well, let me put it another way. What are you doing for the common good of your church? How are you using the gifts and abilities that you have for the benefit of others here? It may be something on that list that we saw at the start. It may be something else. But if you decide to opt out, if you choose not to serve others, Know that the whole body is poorer for it. Maybe you're someone who feels so overcommitted, so busy, that you don't really have time to put anything else in, let alone take on any kind of responsibility within your church community. And I get that. You know, life is complicated. And all of us have a unique situation, unique responsibilities outside of this place, in other facets of our lives, and of course there are different seasons in life too that will dictate what we can and can't take on. But if you feel that you don't want to get involved because you don't want to be relied upon by other people um, or that you've got just simply too much on your plate, maybe it's time to push some of those other things off your plate. I want to suggest that you should be making your commitment to the other people in your church family a very high priority. 
And it's really not good enough to say that, well, you don't want other people relying on you or depending on you. I mean, that's part of what it means to love others, isn't it? To put yourself at their disposal, to commit yourself to them, even when that's inconvenient for you. We should all be seeking out ways that we can serve to find a fruitful role within the body. We should all be serious about using the gifts that God has given us for the good of other people here. And of course, as we were reminded today, um, it is a great encouragement, isn't it, when we, when we have a bit of a think about the many different ways that people do that within the life of our, even our own church, the way people use the gifts that God has given them to serve other people here. It ought to be a joy to us to hear and to see those who serve among us, often in ways that we don't see, behind the scenes, to serve, to build up other members of this church, practising music and songs in their own time, coming early to set things up, preparing lessons to teach our children, praying for others, making someone a meal. It's humbling to learn about the ways that different people serve and give, to hear of the generosity that some people extend to others. It's encouraging to see suitable people take on leadership roles, to take on a greater responsibility to put those gifts to work in the life of a church. So let's not forget to thank and encourage those who serve us, who use those gifts for the benefit of others. Now, for our part, we shouldn't be doing it in order to be seen, in order to be praised, but it certainly doesn't hurt to acknowledge and to thank people for the ways that they serve other people, even here among us at church. But even if no one else notices what you do, know that there is a Father in heaven that sees it, that sees what's on your heart, that sees your motivation. Let's do everything that we do in love for one another, for our Father's glory, and to see his church built up, this body that we are all a part of. We're going to respond in prayer and uh, Kat's going to lead us in that. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for making us part of the body of Christ, your church. Thank you that there are no unimportant parts to the body. Thank you that all of us are interconnected and interdependent. Lord, we thank you for the amazing diversity of your church, that as your body you've given us different gifts. Help us to love and appreciate and encourage each other and to use our gifts for your glory. Please keep us from pride, remembering that everything that we have to us comes to us as a generous gift from you. And help us to see our church the way that you see it. That if one part suffers, we all suffer. And as one part rejoices, we all rejoice. 
We pray that we would be people who are ready to encourage and build each other up and not be critical and judgmental. Lord, we thank you for those unseen acts of service. Lord, we know that you see and that these things bring you great glory. Help us to love one another deeply as you've loved us, selflessly, patiently and faithfully, without holding on to grudges and without anger. Lord, thank you for teaching us through your word this morning, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our final song together is Live for the Kingdom.